Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, episode number six. Anyone who has smoked or vaped probably took that first puff out of sheer curiosity, perhaps because a friend or family member smoked, or maybe they were just a teenager who wanted to push the boundaries a bit. If that was you, you may or may not want to quit because the enjoyment of smoking outweighs the health risks, or does it? Or perhaps you are a parent of a young adult who enjoys vaping and you're hoping it's at least safer than tobacco, but is it? Join us for today's episode so you have the facts. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. Over 50 years ago, in 1964, the U.S. Surgeon General linked smoking to cancer. Today, smoking is one of the biggest public health threats in the world. According to the World Health Organization, tobacco kills more than 8 million people each year. More than 7 million of those deaths are directly linked to using tobacco, while another 1.2 million are a result of non-smokers being exposed to secondhand smoke. If you're a smoker or you use vaping products, I know the last thing you want to hear is another podcast on the dangers of smoking and vaping. We get that. And ultimately, the choice is absolutely yours. But if you use these products, it's important to at least have the facts. Many people around the world don't know the health risks despite decades of scientific studies. For example, just four years ago, there was a study in China that revealed that only 26.6% of Chinese adults believe smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, and stroke. We want you to know, so that's what this episode is all about. Much less is known about the long-term health effects of electronic cigarettes, or what's called vaping, but we do know there is a lot of growing evidence that shows vaping is not harmless. In fact, it can be deadly. In the U.S., there have been over a thousand cases of severe vaping-related lung injuries, as well as a growing number of deaths. The lung injuries are called EVALI for e-cigarette vaping-related lung injuries, and yet vaping is projected to become a $26.8 billion industry by 2023. We're joined today by two experts who will help us understand the facts. Dr. Bonnie Halpernfelscher is a developmental psychologist and professor of pediatrics, adolescent medicine at Stanford University. Her research, which is focused on understanding and reducing health risk behaviors, has influenced national policies regulating adolescent and young adult tobacco use. She's founder and executive director of the Tobacco Prevention Toolkit and the Cannabis Awareness and Prevention Toolkit. Dr. Pamela Ling is an internal medicine specialist and primary care doctor in San Francisco, California. She has a special interest in caring for underserved urban populations. Welcome to both of you. I'd like to start by talking about usage among adolescents. E-cigarettes have been around for more than a decade, but today they are the most frequently used tobacco products among middle schoolers and high schoolers, with more than 3.6 million adolescents vaping today. Teen use of vaping products has doubled in the U.S. alone since 2017, with one in four high school seniors saying that they've used vaping products in the previous month. 
It's hard to fathom that more than 570,000 middle schoolers are using vaping products. So Dr. Halpern-Felscher, let's start with you. What has caused such a huge increase in these vaping products? Well, it's a great question, Bob, and there are a few different reasons for why adolescents are using these newer vaping products. Well, a lot of it has to do with, in brief, marketing, the flavors, the bling, the technology, and then a lot around the misperceptions. So if we look at the marketing, we know that these products have been marketed to adolescents. You look at the, the fun, the ponytails, the bling, the dancing models, this is very much a youth marketed device and so that's one of the main reasons the others we know flavors there are over 15,000 flavors in these various e-cigarette products everything from unicorn poop honey doo-doo sugar booger mm. these are not attracting adults these are these are flavors for young people and by the way mint and menthol are also very much used by adolescents whether it's 30 to 60 percent depending on the data mm. um, and and then and then you don't understand the harms in them and it's why in our toolkit we're really trying to help an adolescents understand the harms because if we don't explain that to them they don't know because the marketing right now it makes it sound like they're um, harmless and and then the final piece really has to do with the fact that they can hide uh, using these products so easily. So they're very, they're very small, particularly the pod-based products made popularized, popular by Juul. Those products are really small. They're easy to hide. You can put them in your pocket. Mm. They look like USBs. And so that's another attractive piece for young people is they might be curious, and then they can sneak or stealth use, as we often call them. Right. Dr. Ling, your research has focused on how tobacco companies have used social media and marketing to attract and encourage young people to start using tobacco. What did you discover? Yes, well, we found that uh, tobacco companies are very experienced at selling tobacco products to young people. They've been doing it since the beginning of the century uh, to target youth. And what we've seen happening with the e-cigarette marketing is that many of exactly the same techniques that were used to sell cigarettes in the past and that are now banned for tobacco companies to use, those techniques have been picked up by e-cigarette companies and are used widely. So portraying e-cigarettes as cool, as socially acceptable, as fun, as harmless, as safe, all of those kinds of messages have been used in the past to sell cigarettes, and they're being translated now to e-cigarettes for young people. The use of social media is also something that's really, um, you know, by itself, you know, young people are so disproportionately on social media. You know, our teenagers here, 95% uh, of them um, are on social media, Some of, and about half of them say that they're on social media almost constantly. So just using that channel as a way to communicate means that the products, the word about the products is going to get out to youth. It's uh, really uh, particularly alarming to me because as adolescent brains are developing, nicotine exposure can actually change the way the brain works, leading to a lifetime of addiction and in some cases causing some long-lasting effects such as increased impulsivity and mood disorders as well. Is that correct, uh, Dr. Halpern-Felscher? 
Oh, it's a very great summary, and we're really concerned about these newer pod-based products that have a tremendous amount of nicotine. Some of them, for example, Juul Pod, have, depending on how you do the math and calculate it, anywhere from the amount of nicotine found in one to up to one and a half or two packs of cigarettes in just one pod, and these are very, very small. But so that's one of the problems. The other has to do with the type of nicotine. It's a salt-based nicotine. It uses benzoic acid, which just basically the bottom line is it changes the pH balance. So when you take a hit, when you use it, you don't have as painful of a throat hit. And to a young person who's really not been using tobacco before or nicotine products uh, before they usually use an e-cigarette, they take it and it's smoother than in other e-cigarettes. It's smoother than a cigarette, the feeling, and it gets absorbed to the brain faster, and they like that feeling. So that's why we're seeing so, such high concentrated levels of nicotine in these products and the type of nicotine, that coupled with the fact that adolescents' brains continue to develop until 25, we're really born with the ability to become addicted to any product. But as we get older, our, our brains prune away what we don't need. But if we put nicotine into it, our brain says, ooh, I was waiting for something like that to come along. I had a spot for nicotine in my brain. I'm going to take that nicotine in, and I'm going to then want more and more of it, and at that point, you're becoming addicted. So it really is kind of a perfect storm for young people of the type of nicotine, the amount of nicotine in the developing brain that makes us particularly worried about these products. Good. It is a well-established fact that smoking is the single greatest preventable cause of death in the world today. Of those deaths in the U.S. alone, 36% are from cancer, 39% from heart disease and stroke, and 24% are from lung disease. According to the World Health Organization, about half of the people who use tobacco will die from tobacco-related illnesses. What makes smoking so dangerous? Well, smoking is really dangerous. One, like we said, in terms of adolescence because it changes your brain. But the other, and, and Dr. Ling, please chime in here as well, the other really has to do with the effects of smoking, whether, by the way, it's an e-cigarette or a cigarette or anything really that you inhale into your lungs, um, lung damage, cardiovascular risk, uh, heart, um, as well as what we're seeing more with, with uh, cigarettes, but we may see it with e-cigarettes too, maybe a cancer risk. And right now, even though we don't see cancer risk specifically in anybody using an e-cigarette, if you just take a look at the aldehydes, the nicotine, and the other products that are in there, we do worry that in long term we might be seeing cancer related to these e-cigarettes as well. I think that, um, you know, when people think about the risks of smoking, they they tend to think about lung cancer because there's such a strong link between smoking and lung cancer. But sometimes people don't think so much about diseases that are actually have a bigger impact, which are lung disease and heart disease, uh, both related to smoking. And I think when we're talking about young people, you know, those effects on your lungs or those effects on your cardiovascular system, particularly the blood vessels, those things can happen very quickly. And, you know, we see differences in the way your cardiovascular system works within minutes of exposure to smoke. So these are the kinds of effects that um, may happen right away and that may be more relevant to young people than thinking about maybe getting cancer many years from now. 
Some people may uh, only have one cigarette a day, or maybe they, they only smoke when they go out with friends to have a drink. Dr. Ling, is that okay? Is there a safe level of smoking? There is no safe level of smoking. I think you're right that sometimes people feel like if they cut down their cigarettes um, or if they just smoke once in a while that that's okay. But really what we know is that the effects of cigarette smoke, particularly on the cardiovascular system, can happen at very low levels. So even one cigarette or even just being exposed to the secondhand smoke from cigarettes can have an effect on your cardiovascular system that's the same as smoking. So um, I do think that though it's for some diseases, like some cancers, there is a linear effect and smoking less is better than smoking more. For many of other diseases related to smoking, even one cigarette or even just being exposed to secondhand smoke is significant risk. Now, people who smoke might tell you that uh, it helps them have a heightened sense of well-being, actually, of helping them deal with negative emotions. Others that mm -hmm. may be dealing with depression might tell you that smoking alleviates some of those feelings. Why is that? Well, I can tell you more from the youth perspective um, that a lot of youth feel that, and, and in some ways they're marketing to, to feel this way, that smoking or vaping helps them relax, helps alleviate stress. And indeed, more in the smoking literature, there's definitely a relationship between adolescents who are anxious or depressed or stressed and self-medicating using smoking. And actually, we have a paper that we're just putting in right now showing similar relationships with e-cigarettes. So we really see that relationship. The problem is it's a false sense of feeling better, really what they're feeling. First of all, it, it may take their mind off of it because they've got that hand motion or, or they've got something in their system. But a lot of times what's helping them feel less anxious is that that they're really curing their withdrawal symptoms. So when they're smoking and they need a bigger hit, they don't feel well. Then when you take that hit again, you start to feel better. So it's not that, it, that it's really actually helping their depression. It's more masking it, and instead it's making them feel less worse because of the withdrawal. Right. Those withdrawal symptoms and kind of have increased cravings, which actually can actually cause symptoms of anxiety, right? Correct. That is absolutely correct. And so they're really thinking that it's a false sense of pleasure, uh, which is not the same as happiness. And when you smoke or you vape, then you do get this false sense of pleasure from, from the dopamine in the brain that's really releasing that feeling. But it's really not an actual sense of happiness, and it's really just masking the sense of depression. But we do know a lot of young people are stressed, and a lot of young people are self-medicating with all kinds of drugs. Mm -hmm. There's a U.K. study uh, that says smoking rates among adults with depression are twice as high as among adults without depression. Uh, is it more difficult for people with depression to stop smoking? It's definitely known that... Uh, there's an association between smoking and depression. And even there's also an association between smoking and uh, uh, smokers report higher rates of uh, suicidal ideation yes, right. or making suicide attempts than non-smokers. Uh, however, when they've done some studies um, of um, people who are admitted to psychiatric wards, it actually turns out that their interest in quitting smoking is the same as a general population. And when actually supported in smoking cessation, they're able to quit at rates that are similar to the general population. 
So in some ways, I think at sometimes in psychiatric treatment, we've kind of assumed that people, you know, can't quit smoking or that they're going to have a hard time and maybe um, have um, put as a priority, we need to treat your depression or we need to treat your psychosis rather than you need to quit smoking. But it actually turns right. out that people with depression and mental illness die mostly from smoking-related diseases and, when given the opportunity, can quit successfully. Very interesting. Another thing to consider with tobacco is just the sheer cost. It's not cheap to buy a pack of cigarettes. The World Health Organization reports that approximately 80% of the 1.1 billion smokers in the world live in low- and middle-income countries where the burden of tobacco-related illnesses and death is heaviest. So on top of having to pay for health problems, the cost of tobacco also diverts household income from things like food and shelter, but these people are spending their money on tobacco instead. Why is that? Well, when, when somebody is addicted, they're really going to, and especially when the process of the addiction and the nicotine in the brain really hijacks that reward system, to where you actually will go for in the hierarchy of needs, so to speak, in, in your body, in your brain, you'll actually reach for and go for a cigarette uh, to, ma to get rid of those feelings of withdrawal and to keep your addiction going than you would to go after water or food or other things. So in your hierarchy of needs, it's this false sense that you you absolutely have to have that nicotine again or that drug or you're going to feel like you're sick or you're feel like you're dying. And so you'll go for that. And so regardless of price, people will go for that product, even if it means that it may be really expensive or hurt their financial capacity in other ways. And we, that's why we know, particularly with youth, that they're really price sensitive. So if we can increase taxes and, and increase the price of cigarettes or other nicotine products before a young person even starts, or before, or and, and it's true for adults too, then we're going to be able to um, reduce the number of people who are using, initiating, and continuing to use those products. So if that's why taxes tend to work so well. Mm. Now, one of the sad things that we know is that e-cigarettes uh, now are actually less expensive than cigarettes. And they're also less expensive than nicotine replacement therapy. So when I go around the country and talk to adolescents and young adults who are using, um, partly they start e-cigarettes because they are so cheap. You can buy uh, views, for example, for 99 cents. A four-pack of jewels, four pods, is about $16.00. A pack of cigarettes is about $38. Wow. So one pack versus the four, really significant difference there in price. And then I have a young adult daughter who says she's got friends who are addicted to e-cigarettes, and they can't afford nicotine replacement therapy, and e-cigarettes are cheaper than nicotine replacement. So we've got a real, real price dis uh, disparity that is also encouraging young people to continue to use e-cigarettes. Vaping devices like e-cigarettes, vape pens, personal va vaporizers consist of a mouthpiece, a battery, a cartridge that contains a liquid, and a heating component. And the liquid is heated and creates an aerosol that is inhaled by the users. When they were first introduced, people thought they were a safer way to get nicotine instead of using tobacco because each pod or, or flavor cartridge contains about the same amount of nicotine is a whole pack of cigarettes. 
So you get your nicotine, but you don't have the tobacco. Dr. Halpern-Felscher, are they any safer? They're just as harmful, but in different ways. Uh, and there's just not a lot of good literature right now, but the, the sort of analogy I've often been saying is you can jump from a 10-story building or a 15-story building. The effects are basically the same. So rather that you don't jump at all and take the stairs and walk out the front door and be safer, there's clearly not good evidence right now that they are truly a lot safer for you. When it comes to young people, it's really it's not the right comparison because young people are not starting with cigarettes and they're not using cigarettes right away. Some of them are moving over to cigarettes after using e-cigarettes, but adolescents and young adults nowadays are generally starting with e-cigarettes. And so the comparison between e-cigarettes and cigarettes is not really the right comparison from a youth perspective anyway. Uh, One other challenge with knowing about the safety of e-cigarettes is that right now e-cigarettes are allowed on the market before they've been tested for safety. So one of the problems we've had with the new pulmonary illness, this Evali that you mentioned in the introduction, is that you know the products were out there and being used, and you know the only indication we had about the safety was that people started to get sick. So essentially, our consumers are paying to be guinea pigs for the e-cigarette companies who can change the product, change the formula, change the kind of nicotine salts they're putting in, change the flavors, and right now they're allowed to do that without going through any kind of regulation to make sure that that product is actually safe and effective. That's a problem. Number of adults who vape around the world is expected to reach 55 million by 2021. Dr. Ling, who is using vaping devices? They're used by uh, adults and young people. I think they're most commonly used among people who um, already use some kind of tobacco product. But, of Hmm. course, our concern is also, especially with youth, that a a lot of young people who would never um, smoke a cigarette have been willing to try vaping. Uh, for the variety of reasons that we discussed earlier. They think it's different. They think it's not the same thing as cigarette, or they may not know about um, that inhaling flavors or that, that they even contain nicotine. Um, this is a global market. The products are being sold all over the world, and you're seeing adults and um, children picking them up in countries worldwide. And I would say that in the U.S., you know, the, the, the numbers – across the country or the the national data are showing 27% of youth who are using and and looks like youth even more than adults uh, potentially for using e-cigarettes. When I go around the country talking to parents, teens, and and educators, really everybody's telling me that the numbers are much higher, that it's 50 to 75% of youth who are at least using them at some level, and, you know, to go with what Dr. Ling was saying, that everybody's using them. And, and I gave a talk in New York recently, and I asked the students, I said, I was doing an activity, I said, close your eyes and think of students who were using e-cigarettes, and they were looking at each other, and it wasn't a look of, hmm, I, is anybody, it was more a look of, you are, and you are, and you are, and you are. Wow. And it really is so incredibly ubiquitous. And there was one student I was talking to, once I started talking about the health effects, she would not look at me the entire rest of the talk, and I think it's because she was probably using, she was embarrassed and and realizing what I was talking about as potentially being harmful to her. So it, it is absolutely ubiquitous. 
Young people are definitely thinking when you go around and talk to them, they still think it's gotten a little bit better because our messages are getting out, but young people still say, oh, it's just harmless water vapor, um, and, and, or I'm just fla having flavors, or as was said earlier, oh, it, there's no nicotine in there, or it's just essential oils, which is also con scary considering that the vitamin E acetate is a form of an oil that, that we're worried about with young people. So. We, um, we are very much combating the messages that they're feeling and their misperceptions that, that they're not only harmless, but that it's just flavors. And one of the things that we do know from research done uh, with mouse models and some human models is that the flavors themselves can be dangerous. So you've got diacetyl, which is the buttery flavor, or you've got vanillin or cinnamon aldehyde, and these in and of themselves can be harmful and, and are harmful. And so we're really, really, it's, it's every aspect of these vaping products, not to mention, as Dr. Ling said, they're not regulated. In every aspect, we don't have any control on what's going on with these products. It's very concerning. We, we've talked about uh, the illnesses that you can get from tobacco. Uh, Dr. Ling, are the, the symptoms that, that you're seeing from your vaping patients the same that you see from smoking patients? It is common, though, to have some pulmonary symptoms. So people who vape sometimes will feel short of breath. They may have cough. They may have irritation of the throat. Um, some people have symptoms from the nicotine delivery, particularly the new um, uh, pod devices like the jewels that deliver high levels of nicotine. Um, I will have young people tell me that they have headaches um, or even that they got, just got worried from using it so much uh, because they went through the pot so quickly. So it's a combination of some pulmonary symptoms, um, some mouth and throat symptoms, and some nicotine symptoms. Um, you know, the people who got sick from the vaping illness had a combination of um, breathing problems and also some stomach problems, mm -hmm. uh, GI distress, and um, we're not quite sure why that was, but it did seem to be part of the, of the illness. Um, I think the other concern is that we think that when you're vaping, it uh, seems to affect the um, cells in the lungs that are part of your immune system and that vaping may make you more vulnerable to infection. There have been some studies on mice that show that once they exposed mice to vapor and then they exposed them to the flu, that those mice got sick and some died uh, at much higher rates. So it may be that uh, we have, will have a worse flu season or that people may have a harder time getting over uh, viral illnesses when they vape, and we may just not have noticed it before because people just think it's a really bad flu, system, um, flu season. So um, all of those concerns, I think, as we learn more and more about vaping, there are more and more places where we're starting to look and realize that these health effects could be related to the vaping. A lot of, a lot of people think that you're um, using a, a vapor, that, it's, that the plume that comes out is a vapor, but it's, it's not. It's an aerosol. So vapor is really just, you know, um, uh, water that's been heated up or steam, but these really are aerosols that contain, and actually some recent studies are showing that the secondhand aerosol would contain nicotine and various byproducts and can, uh, uh, heavy metals and fine particulates. So what's coming out is not simply a water vapor, which is very much a misunderstanding, uh, but it is, it is a, a, an aerosol that in and of itself can be harmful.
And Dr. Ling, since, since these vaping devices don't contain smoke, do we have to worry about secondhand vapor from these devices? I, I think we do have to worry about the secondhand aerosol from vaping devices, in part because, well, it, I'm calling you from California, right, where here we have cleaned our air. And so there's really no reason to bring any additional chemicals or toxins into a clean air environment. Uh, and in addition, we know that you know, these are complex combinations of chemicals and the particulate matter, as uh, Dr. Halpern-Felscher mentioned, those those fine particulates are the same things that when we have forest fires and the air is thick with smoke, everyone feels sick. Um, and those fine particulates are what folks who are vaping are breathing into their lungs intentionally. So those, uh, I would worry about exposure to the aerosol. Um, the aerosol also contains nicotine, which can settle on surfaces and then expose children or pets who crawl around on surfaces. So I do think that uh, you do want to have the same kind of regulations you do for smoking cigarettes as you do for vaping, which is take it outside, take it far away from me, don't vape around your children right. or your pets if you care about their health. Right. And speaking of legislation, the legislation regulating the sale and use of vaping devices is being debated all over the world because governments are still studying how unhealthy the vaping really is. And some countries have completely banned the sale and import of vaping devices, such as Mexico and Brazil and many other countries in South America. Thailand has uh, some of the strictest laws. Vaping there could actually lead to a prison sentence and some stiff fines. Uh, Japan, Norway, Australia have uh, laws that ban the use of nicotine with vaping, and vaping devices are banned in the Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, and Vietnam, just to name a few of the countries. Uh, Dr. Ling, we started out by talking about how tobacco marketing attracted so many young people to use tobacco, and you've got some ideas, I understand, on how to apply the same strategies to improve tobacco control programs. What are some of those ideas? I think that we just talked about how uh, many countries have put restrictions on the sale of uh, vaping products in their countries, and I think that's a smart move. Until we, one of the problems we have here in the U.S., that the products were allowed on the market and they were allowed to be sold very aggressively before we had any science on the safety and the efficacy of the products. Because of that, in the U.S. especially, we have, you know, about... Uh, 27% of our teenagers in high school are now vaping. Wow. Uh, and a lot of the, the kind of aggressive marketing using social media and without regulation really led to a huge youth epidemic. I think in countries where they can control the sale or they can control the advertising and prevent that widespread promotion, particularly things that challenge, uh, that appeal to youth, um, that, is, that countries, if they are going to allow the product, at least make sure that it's marketed in a way where it's only directed to adults who are addicted to smoking. But before any of the marketing, I think making sure the product is safe and making sure that it actually helps people quit smoking, which is the marketing message, but really still not well supported by evidence, that needs to be set up first before you allow the products on the, on the market. I do think um, we can also use some of the clever marketing strategies like um, using social media and having messages that really make sense to young people. Those t 
techniques can be used to promote smoking cessation programs. Those techniques can be used to get uh, education about vaping to people who need to hear it. And there are um, uh, quite a few innovative educational programs that are coming out now, not the least of which is Dr. Halpern Felscher's uh, Tobacco Prevention Toolkit, which I think do a really good job of getting the information to the people who need it. Dr. Halpern Felscher, what is the, the Tobacco Prevention Toolkit? The Tobacco Prevention Toolkit, which can be found at tobaccopreventiontoolkit.stanford.edu, it's a free online set of curriculums and materials, mostly for teachers, middle and high school teachers, to use to educate middle and high school students. But we know that we have lots of parents accessing the materials, as well as healthcare providers and counselors. And the material are there to provide PowerPoints, activities, fact sheets, lots of information for people, including adolescents themselves, to be able to access and learn more more and, and develop and use refusal skills and other ways to help them not smoke, not vape, and quit if they start. Okay, so for anyone who might be interested in quitting, let's let's talk about that. Dr. Halpern Felscher, for a longtime smoker, quitting might just feel like it's impossible. How effective are tobacco cessation programs or medications in helping people quit? They are effective. Uh, usually, I think the most important thing for adults who are quitting smoking cigarettes is that they have to be patient because it can take upwards of five, six times to be able to actually quit. And so they have to be patient. We do know that the combination of nicotine replacement therapy or other pharmacological agents coupled with cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective way to help adults quit. For youth, it's, it's a different story. For youth, well, first of all, we don't have any validated um, evidence-based ways, or, and particularly nicotine replacement therapies or any ways for young people under the age of 18 to quit, using, to quit smoking or vaping. We just don't have FDA approval and we don't have the evidence for whether it's nicotine replacement therapy or other therapies for e-cigarettes or for smoking. We just don't have that evidence. What, what, but, but we know that we're desperate for us. And in fact, our lab has been working, in, in Dr. Ling as well, on trying to come up with either ways and evidence for medications or other kinds of therapy or motivational interviewing. And on our tobacco prevention toolkit, we actually now have a Healthy Futures curriculum to help young people who are caught vaping in school, help them through motivational interviewing and other goals setting ways to help them stop using and ultimately quit. We know that plenty of healthcare providers are prescribing and giving people under 18 nicotine replacement therapy, the patch, gum, lozenges, giving it to them uh, in hopes that we can use those, in hopes that they would be effective. The question then comes down to dosing. As we've been saying on this, uh, talk so far, we don't know if youth are using one or two packs of cigarettes worth of nicotine, and that has a lot of implications for how much nicotine we actually give them mm. to help them quit. 
And are the same therapies available and as effective for someone who is hooked on vaping products? If you are trying to, to vape to quit smoking, that uh, because we know that nicotine replacement without counseling really doesn't work very well to help people quit smoking. I think the same is true for vaping. While people might be trying to quit, if you, you really do need to have um, your, if you add counseling to the nicotine replacement, you're much more likely to be successful. And uh, that's why just promoting, you know, vaping products without really um, connecting them to a program where you're getting support and you're making plans to really quit successfully is unlikely to, to be effective in terms of getting people to quit. And if you're a smoker, you might figure that the damage is already done. Dr. Halpern-Falscher, are, are there still immediate and long-term health benefits of quitting smoking or using vaping products if you've been smoking for 10 years already? Yeah, we definitely know that if you have been smoking for 10 years and you quit, there still are benefits, uh, particularly, Pam, uh, I'm right on the heart, right, more, more than on the lungs. Um, that we see effects, uh, we see your heart repairing much faster than even lungs, but that we can see changes fairly quickly if you stop smoking. Right. Yes. I think we're, you're, you're right. It's never too late to quit yeah. smoking. And can people well, just quit cold turkey if they want? Absolutely. There are people who quit cold turkey if they want, and, and we certainly know that. I was having a conversation with my parents who are elderly, but we were having a conversation about when I was a child and told, told them that their smoking was disgusting and they just quit. Uh, there are people who do that. It's not the norm. There are not a lot of people who can do that easily. And we would not necessarily recommend that. The more support, whether it is through, as Dr. Ling was saying, the combination of medication and cognitive behavioral therapy, if you're going to use uh, one of the quit lines, something that you do get support because you're more likely to stay quit. One thing we would definitely say, at least I would, um, is that e-cigarettes are not the way to quit smoking cigarettes. Dr. Ling, any, any closing comments? You know, the tobacco companies are coming out with new products all the time. And vaping is hot right now, but you'll see coming out all over the world, they are starting to market new products. They're called heated tobacco products, which are like cigarettes that you heat up, and they're not quite catching on fire. And those are also going to be sold as safer than smoking cigarettes. And I would just encourage your listeners to be skeptical about the new gimmicks that are coming out because the tobacco industry it keeps trying to come up with new products, playing off the hopes that smokers have that they could continue to use something uh, like a safe cigarette. And really, there's no safe cigarette. Our thanks to Dr. Pamela Ling and Dr. Bonnie Halpern-Felscher for their insights. The evidence is crystal clear, but if you smoke or use a vaping device, that may not be enough to convince you to quit. It's your decision. Most likely you've heard all the health facts and you probably think it won't happen to you. No one ever does. But there are so many other reasons to quit. The cost, the smoker's cough, the effects of secondhand smoke on others, the smell of stale smoke on your clothes and on your breath, and above all, the desire to improve your chances of being around for your family. If you are a smoker and you want to quit, you can. HPE employees and family members have access to great resources that can help you kick the tobacco or vaping habit once and for all. 
U.S. employees can find links to WebMD's Tobacco Cessation Coaching Program on HPE Wellness. And globally, the Employee Assistance Program can help identify those triggers that may be causing you to feel the need to smoke or vape, and they can help you better cope with whatever is causing those triggers. As always, you'll find contact information for your local EAP on the Global Wellness page on HPE Insider. We hope this episode has been helpful. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Let's talk again soon. Mm-hmm.